I went to get sober, like most people, I thought it was the end of everything. I thought I would never have fun again. I would be boring. I, no one would ever love me. That it was just really the end of everything good. And that life would just be, like I was going into some B version of life that nobody really wanted. to the Friends and Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Four New York Times bestselling authors, one rock star librarian, and endless stories. Join Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry, along with Ron Block. As novelists, we are four longtime friends with 70 books between us. And I am Ron Block. Please join us for fascinating author interviews and insider talk about publishing and writing. If you love books and are curious about the writing world, you are in the right place. Welcome to a new episode of the Friends and Fiction Writers Block Podcast. We have a truly special one for you today. We explore storytelling from so many angles, and today we are going to focus on telling our own stories. Our guest today is Laura McCowan, and Laura is the best-selling author of We Are the Luckiest, host of Tell Me Something True podcast, and founder of The Luckiest Club, a global sobriety support community. She's beloved for her soulful and irreverent writing online and in print. She leads sold-out retreats and courses teaching people how to say yes to a bigger life. I am Ron Block. And I am Patty Callahan Henry. We have so much to dive into today, and I know we won't get to all of it. Heck, Laura and I barely got to all of it over a five-day retreat together. So, Laura, welcome. Thank you. This is so nice. So happy to have you here. So let's start with your book, We Are the Luckiest. You and I met in Ireland where we attended, actually we met in the airport, but didn't speak until we got to the hotel. (laughs) We were a little jet lagged and we were both attending a retreat called Spark, which was meant to spark our creative potential. And it was led by our friend, the astounding Peter Rollins. I want to start there. When we met, you had not yet published your book, We Are the Luckiest, and you were trying to find your way into what it meant to publish such a personal piece. You already had a huge following on social media, but to publish a book seemed daunting and a bit terrifying. So I want you to tell us about the title of the book, why you wrote it, and and your journey to publication. Yeah. Gosh, that seems so long ago, and it wasn't. It was 2018. Yeah, I was actually... That trip, I decided that I was going to try to self-publish because my agent had, we had gone out to, I don't even, 40 some publishers and lots of, this is amazing, beautiful writing, I just don't know. And and I was getting discouraged. It had been about nine months. And as a first-time author, I didn't know that that's sort of normal, but... I started, I spent most of that retreat, if you remember, not even in the sessions. I went 
and sat in the restaurant or the the pub and just was working on pages and trying to get enough put together uh, so that I, I don't know what, I, I was just trying to push through. The title came from some post that I made years prior. So when I went to get sober, like most people, I thought it was the end of everything. I thought I would never have fun again. I would be boring. I, no one would ever love me. Uh, that, that it was just really the end of everything good. And that life would just be like, I was going into some B version of life that nobody really wanted. And it took me quite a while to actually get sober, but when I finally did, I didn't know that I would, I was officially on my way at this time. I think I had about 30 days and it was a night where I, nothing profound happened, but I was having a hard time emotionally. I was a single mom. I'm a single mom. My daughter was young at the time and she was five and you know, I'd probably just come home from work and had a, had a crazy job. And, uh, it was really, those days it was hard for me to just hit the pillow sober. I just, it was very hard and everything was very raw and I got through the night though. And my daughter was asleep next to me in bed. And I had this thought that like, I had just made it through this emotional storm and I was okay. I wasn't going to be creating any new destruction, which was a miracle. And I would wake up the next morning and I felt such gratitude in that moment and such, uh, like this rec- this recognition that this is sort of what I had been chasing this like direct experience of life in drinking and that I felt it, this nearness to life right then in sobriety. And I thought, this is, I'm lucky. This is, we're, we're lucky, not the people who can drink because I had for so long felt, Oh, I wish I could just drink normally. You know, they're so lucky. All those people they can drink quote unquote normally are so lucky. And I thought, no, we're, we're lucky. We're the luckiest. And I just posted something like that on Instagram and it started to become a phrase that people used. And so and then by the time a couple years later, people, it was, it was really a phrase that was used a lot in the sobriety community. And it was just the obvious choice for the book. But do you didn't publish directly. So we leave the retreat, right? You've okay. Me, you've told me a little bit about the title, you know, I'm crying and it, yeah. it wasn't like magic. It wasn't all of a sudden the book. No, was you had to push through. Yeah, no, I, I left that retreat and what happened was I told my agent, like, thank you. You're wonderful. (laughs) I'm going to go off on my own and self-publish. He's like, let me just give it one more shot. Let's just give it one more shot. I think that retreat was in November. Mm -hmm, I think. And it was right before Thanksgiving. He went out to a few other publishers, including New World Library, who ended up buying the book. And it was, I got my offer for it right before Christmas. So, so then I had to write a book in just a few months and I had several, I had been working on those pages and those chapters for a long time. I sold it with, with a few chapters done and I wrote the rest 
by April of the following year. And it was a years long process, but that I think finally giving up on publishing traditionally was what helped me get there because those pages that I wrote in Ireland were what sold the book. And what I watched you do and what you teach us all in life to do, it was this sudden act of surrender to not doing it the way you thought you were going to do it. And to also write the pages that came from in here instead of up here in the head. Yep. So, yeah, absolutely. It changed it when I, when I gave up, (laughs) it's the metaphor for sobriety too. When I finally gave up, I, things started to happen. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm struck. Patty introduced me to your work of, gosh, a couple of months ago. And I started at first I was like a little hesitant, but then I got into it. And I'm just like so impressed by how raw and honest and inspiring your work is. I just I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge Thank fan. You. And so let's talk. The, the book is about getting sober, but it's about so much more. Drinking might have been your thing, but you also encourage readers to recognize their own thing which might not be drinking and as i read it of course i thought of 17 different things in my life (laughs) (laughs) Um, you say we have so many ways that we can check out can you talk to us about that yeah one of the things that was really important to me is i when i went to get sober i knew that yes i had a problem with alcohol but that it wasn't this exceptional strange anomaly that some people have a a thing, an addiction. Addiction is the most human condition. It's been written about from the beginning of time. And it's really doing something despite negative consequences. So if you can think of the things you might do in your life despite negative consequences, we're all addicted to many things. And not, you know, and and it's not just addiction that I call our things. It's something that drags you into the underworld of grief or pain uh, and causes you to come up against every part of your identity that you held to be so true that forces you to change. And so it can be a divorce. It can be an illness. It can be the death of someone you love. It can be a a habit that you have. uh, And certainly addiction falls in there. But It was so important to me to normalize addiction because one of the things that I felt when I was stamped with the, you know, the capital P problem was this is ridiculous. I like I yes, I have a problem with alcohol, but it was this the alcohol. The addiction thing is still very stigmatized. It was like, okay, now Laura needs to go into the basement with other people who have this thing and not ruin the party for everyone else and just be very quiet. And I refused to do that. It just felt so absurd and also perpetuate this quietness, this shame, this stigma that we have about it. So one of the things I wanted the book to, to include in the book was just this humanization of what it means to have an addiction. I mean, we, and then we all come by the, the, the underlying core thing is pain and we all experience pain. So So how do we deal with that pain? We do things that work for me. Alcohol worked for many different things, right? It was actually a very intelligent thing for me to do for a while. It helped me. And then, and then it stopped helping me, but. Wow. 
your work, your blogs, your poetry, your newsletters, and of course your books, Laura, you never pull a punch. Honesty is at the core of what you just said to Ron, what you write about, what you talk about. Do you think that the very act of creative writing is a way into your deeper self and to honesty? And to tag on to that, why is honesty so important and terrifying to you and to all of us? All of us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's its own podcast. I know. I, no, it's so good. Two. Because I didn't realize that I didn't know that honesty was my problem. Like that, that the inability to be honest and also for very good reason, like I learned, we don't, Protective reasons. we don't, we don't lie. We don't begin to lie because we're these terrible, you know, benevolent creatures. We, we lie because it works and uh, it makes life easier for us. We get our needs met. We're protected. We're protected. Yeah. And for all kinds of reasons, big and small. And I didn't realize how insidious the dishonesty was in my life. Like I knew that I had to lie. I was lying about how much I was drinking and, you know, when, who, and, where. when and who I was with and things like that. But, but lying had become like, or just dishonesty, this sort of, I think the biggest lie that we, that we tell is I'm fine. Yes. Oh, yeah. Everything's fine. I'm fine. We tell ourselves that we tell the world that, and we're not, we aren't fine. Uh, I, I wasn't fine. That was the first lie I told to my parents, you know, when they got divorced when I was really young. And I noticed like, Oh, this isn't going to, I don't, there's no space for me to feel anything. And I'm really too uncomfortable to feel anything. So I'm fine. Everything's fine. And if I'm fine, I don't have to deal with your anger and like your grief and all this. So yeah, the, we, we start to say we're fine and then we're not fine. And we don't know how to talk about the ways that we're not fine because it, we look around and we go, everyone else is dealing, <laughs> everyone else is coping. So I, sobriety is, is at its core, I think is an issue of being able to be honest with oneself and with the world. Uh, and that applies to everybody. I forgot your first, the first part of your question. Oh, I, do, do you think oh, the writing, the writing, I feel like it's a way, I, I mean, I've watched you through the years do this. It's, it's a way to tell the truth that feels terrifying to tell otherwise. Yeah. I had always wanted to write and I always had written privately journals and whatever, but one of the reasons I I, I wanted to write a book. I wanted to write, you know, essays. I wanted to publish things, but I am not, as far as I know, I'm not like you, Patty. I don't know that I can create stories. I wanted to write about my own life. And I found all the time that I couldn't because I wasn't being honest. Yeah. Everything was, there were so many secrets inside of me. And I felt like if I told those things that, you know, all, all the bad things we imagined would happen. So I I, when I got sober though, or when I was struggling to get sober long before I did, I realized that that I had a story to tell. I had something to work out and that I 
could do it in writing. And writing really helped me figure out what was going on with me because I didn't know, you know, the like upper level tip of the top of the iceberg problem. Right. But you don't know all the things underneath and writing helped me. It's like a little pickaxe just helped me get at it. And, and you, the thing about writing is it's embodied. So you feel when it's not true. You yes. feel when you're full of shit. You feel when you're <laughs> skating on the top, right? Yeah. It and just doesn't strike right. It's and then, very, to, yeah. but to dig, to break through the ice or the, to keep up with our ice metaphor, to get yeah. to the bottom of the iceberg, like, that takes an honesty. That means telling the truth, which means exposing ourselves. It does. It does. And this is a, this is something I don't quite have the answer to yet because a, a lot of people have said, Oh, you're so, you are so courageous for writing. You're so courageous. And I've never seen it that way. Oh, I do. Me too. But I've been trying to say, I was just trying to save my life. Mm. That's, and I, yes, I had, I had moments here and there. It more, more came from other people going, I don't think you want to say that you should be careful about this or, or my, my parents or my friends yeah. being uncomfortable with it. But I, I don't know that I see it as, as so courageous because it's just never, it's never come from that place in me. I think when you have every, when you've, when you basically lost everything, it's like your, your reputation is destroyed. You're kind of free. There you go. That's yep. the freedom for sure. And, and I want to just go back a little bit. And I think telling stories from, you were mentioning Patty, telling stories, whether they're fiction or your own stories, they have an effect on the reader. So I think there's a lot of similarity there. So I, I wouldn't discount that ever, that your stories are not Thank you. not not the same. Because I they, think it's a lot more terrifying to tell my own story than to make one up. Right? Because you can still tell the truth, but through fiction, you can do it through yeah. your characters instead of like putting yourself on the line. I just... Yeah. Yeah, don't don't ever forget that. No, I just don't know. I've just never tried to make something up. Right. <laughs> I don't know if I have the imagination. That's all I meant. Yeah, I I, I would love to try someday, but and I'd yeah, be there some, for it. There's something about about you can also as a reader, you can feel it when the when the writer is not telling the truth. You yes. can feel it. Yes. And even if you can't say that's what it is. Yeah, you just, just like don't, I didn't connect. I don't believe yeah. you. I don't connect. I, yeah, I don't connect to this. And but turn the page. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, and, down. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, we are veering off a little bit, but there's a part in the book you talked about, touched on this earlier, where a friend um, contacted you, and you had to say you thought about like saying I'm fine, but then you decided to tell this person the truth, and that really was a change for you, and it, it really strengthened your um, your story. Yes, <laughs> it was so silly, but not she. She, this was in very early sobriety and we, we were both getting sober around the same time and, but just had very different experiences. She very much left it behind, never looked back, never questioned it. And I, that was not my experience. I had, I, I deeply missed everything I had attached to drinking. I, it was giving up an entire identity to me. It was excruciatingly difficult. And she asked me one day, do you miss drinking? Like she, she was surprised. And I almost said, no, I'm, I'm good. 
because that would have been the pattern. And I said, I do. I miss it. So, I miss it yeah. so much. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, we all have our defense mechanisms that we use to, to get through the world, survive. And mine was always, I'm fine. I'm good. I don't need anybody. I don't need anything. And so it's still a thing that I have to work at to go, am I really fine? Am I okay? Cause it, you know, they're defense mechanisms. Am I telling for, the truth? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. They're, and, and there was no way for me to get sober and continue to do, to do that. Realizing I needed other people is a terrible realization. Yeah. <laughs> Vulnerability. <laughs> Come on, can we just not have it? Yeah, just put it aside. Please. So uh, Patty's also shared with me that you both have a love of David White's work. And he mm. often talks about the beautiful question. You've said the question is this bad enough to quit isn't the right question, but that the better question is, is this good enough for me to stay the same? And that leads to an entirely new conversation. Uh, like we have to say, like, I'm curious what my life would be like without X, Y, or Z. Yeah. Is this good enough is a complete shift. Mm -hmm. And then the bigger question underneath that is, am I free? chill bumps. Mm -hmm. And that you can't escape that question. I could have, I could have tricked myself out of every, am I an alcoholic question? Do I have a problem with alcohol question? But the, am I free? Couldn't trick myself out of that. Mm -hmm. I was not free when it came to alcohol. It owned, it owned me, owned my time and my attention. And I think we all, that question is the one that none of us can really evade. I just think that the switch to, is this good enough for me to stay the same is way different than is this bad enough to quit? Oh God. Right. Yeah. But that's how often do we say, is this bad enough? Is it bad, is this enough? bad enough? Is this bad enough? Is this relationship bad enough? Am I unhappy enough? Am I, is this job but miserable enough? Right. Mm -hmm. But is this good enough? It's a whole different thing. Yeah. We don't think that. And yeah, it's, a, it's, it's different like, questions, different answers, different questions, different answers, right? Better questions, better answers. What's well, the degree of honesty with them too. Yeah. 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 And a way, a way of wiggling out from under one that you can't wiggle out from the other. Right. Right. right? You can't rationalize your way out of the other question. And I know I've told you this, Laura, but one of my favorite things you have ever written, aside from the book itself, and besides our text string <laughs> that we could publish, is this quote, that thing that breaks your heart, you don't have to do that anymore. That thing that breaks your heart, you don't have to do that anymore. Every time you post that quote, it is like a body blow of truth. Like even reading it out loud, I feel this whoosh, like that is the truth. So talk to me about that and where it came from. Yeah, it came from drinking. That was the original root of it. This realization that I didn't have to break my own heart again. I didn't have to do that again, not even one more time. Mm. But then it became about this, these 
patterns that I had in relationships with men. And it's really about these places where we feel helpless and hopeless to change as though we are just destined to repeat the same patterns of pain and dysfunction and Mm. realizing not even, not even one more time. And this question that that statement is actually quite painful in a way to read because there's a grief we realize in not doing that thing again. It shines a light on what we actually get out of our painful pattern. Well, it's powerful. It's not just about drinking and it's not just about whatever our thing is. It's about the choices we make that hurt us that we think we have to keep doing. But that thing that breaks our heart, we don't have to do it anymore. We don't. And, and how brave that decision is. It's, it, 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 I don't, I don't know why, but it, you know, we act as if like we know what we're, what we should do and yet we don't do it, (laughs) but there are good reasons why. And, and it's always more complex than you're too stupid or you're too, you don't have enough willpower. You don't have enough willpower. It's pull yourself up by those bootstraps. It's like, can you care for yourself? Like, someone that you love mm. and are responsible for. And for some reason, the I remember when that, for the wording hit me, I was in bed <laughs> sometime in early sobriety and thought, you never have to do that again. You don't have mm. to. And the, the fact that it's breaking your heart, you know, it wasn't about other people. It wasn't about it being bad or me being a piece of crap or me being weak or me being, you know, it was breaking my heart. Wow. It opens up a minefield too. I think when you start, that's just like the doorway into it. And then the minefield to get past that and each step you take makes you a little bit stronger and puts that other behind you. And I wish you were my friend 15 years ago. (laughs) Oh, we can be friends now. I told her that when we met. Aside from feeling like we'd known each other, I also wished that her wisdom had been there before. It's so, uh, yeah. (laughs) I'll start crying. Never mind. (laughs) Oh, I love love tears. Tears are good. They're cleansing. They're good. (laughs) Anyway, so let's move on to your tagline on your website. It's falling in love with the mystery of life again. It's all right here waiting for you to say yes. You have courses on sobriety and creativity podcasts, a book and a newsletter and a blog, all learning about this truth. The podcast you record now is called Tell Me Something True, and you've interviewed some amazing truth tellers like Peter Rollins, Brene Brown, Cheryl Strayed. I wish now... Brene Brown, not Brene Brown. Oh, no, no, false <laughs> advertising. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Say that sentence again. Okay. Well, we've just put that <laughs> into the universe. Are you universe. manifesting, yeah, Are you we're manifesting for you? <laughs> and Cheryl Strayed. And, and most recently, I listened to your um, South by Southwest with Jason Isbell. And there's so many more. And we all need something true right now. Why? And how do we find our own something true? Mm, great question. Yeah, we came up with the name for the show. In We started talking about it in 2020 and then decided on it in 2021 when the truth was very 
difficult to grab, right? And and there's something so edifying and grounding and important about about truth that that we desperately need. Um, and what we were looking for are sort of wisdom wisdom texts like truths the the sort of staple truths of what it means to be a human in this mysterious existence and little beacons of light that could help us navigate our way through whether they come through science or philosophy or theology or psychology or poetry or art and we we talk about the, I talk about the mystery of life uh, because that's what I find to be, you know, this isn't a show about science. I love science, but it's not a show about landing on hard facts. It's almost more a show about asking the right questions. What are the best questions you can ask and what are, how do you engage more deeply in this mystery and not look away from it? and not look away from the complexity and the paradox of, of what we contend with when, when we're awake to life. So we, tr- you know, we, we, we tried to go as, as deep and as big as possible, but each conversation that we have is just one person who has figured out or has started to uncover something that we see as essential about the human experience and has the willingness to share it. I mean, I look at Jason Isbell, for example, since you just listened to that, he's a master songwriter and storyteller and he conveys his music conveys something so under the hook, you know, it's way beyond the intellect. It's just hits you right in the heart and, uh, and that goes beyond all the BS that we're so tangled in every day, the politics and the, oh my gosh, the, 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 the media and the top level stuff that we swim in all day. And it brings you right to the center uh, where we all sort of live. So we try to find people who can help us get there and, and stay there and make sense of even if it's just for an hour, <laughs> try to right, make right. something make sense. But so it's for more than day. an hour because you think about when you, when you have those conversations and when we have these conversations, if you have them enough, you go back to them when you're in a place where you're not living from your center and you're like, oh, wow, back to center back to center. So the more conversations we have about that with the more people who are actually trying to do it, the more maybe we can do it. Yeah. And I think so much of it is, is, is getting when we, the original tagline for the show is uh, a show for people who want to fall in love with the mystery of life again. And we've, it just speaks to that. Like, we, it's so easy to, to lose touch of what's real and what's real about it. You know, not, I'm holding up my phone, like not, it's not what's in our phones and it's not in our feed and it's not, you know, on the, the headlines that we read. Yeah. I'm not saying that all that is, is not real, but it's, 
what's in our hearts, what has been true about human existence from the beginning of time, what is connection. Con- yeah, all of these things that it it was so hard to hang on to in the 2020 and 2021 to to even just find a tiny thread of what was real. So aside from creativity and the struggle to stay present and do deep work, a lot of what you and I talk about with each other is healthier relationships. And I think it's a bit what your next book is about. Can you tell us about what you're working on? Yes. Well, the, the, I have two books in the works. The second one, which will come out uh, early in the spring of 2023, is called Push Off From Here. And that's an exploration of the nine things that are listed as the epigraph to We Are the Luckiest. So those things are, one, it's not your fault. Two, it is your responsibility. Three, it is unfair that this is your thing. Four, this is your thing. Five, this will never stop being your thing until you face it. Six, you can't do it alone. Seven, only you can do it. Eight, you are loved. And nine, I will never stop reminding you of these things. Mm. So that is what the next book is about. Then the third book is about relationships and love addiction, codependency. I hate the phrase love addiction, but it, it, it does, it does describe something specific. Um, it does its job. It does its job. Yeah. Yeah. And that for me was what I realized was underneath the thing underneath the thing, you know, that was the original wound and it's what so many of us face uh, is this, deep longing to be in a healthy, intimate relationship and to feel, to be able to give and receive love in a healthy way. And I'm deeply interested. I, it was where all my, most of my pain came from when I got sober. It was what I was trying to escape by drinking. And then when I took away the drinking, there it was. Just waiting for you. Just Just waiting for me. Yeah. And I reached a point in four or five years of sobriety where I thought, if I don't deal with this, it's going to take me out because it was so deeply painful. So I'm writing about that. And um, so it's kind of a sobriety book in a way, but a, a very different kind, one that applies to almost everybody. It does. You've been honest and open with your struggles with social media and how you found some middle ground and peace with it. I need peace with it, too. <laughs> Tell me how you did it. <laughs> Oh, I wish I had some brilliant formula. Um, Yes, I've had many phases of, I mean, I even left for a period of time. I quit, thought I would never go back, uh, and Mm. then ultimately decided um, and was guided by, I would say, people wiser than me to maybe consider the responsibility of having a public voice and what that could be. I think the thing that has helped me the most is, well, there's two things. One, I am a recovering people pleaser, and that is so much at the core of why it's hard to be on social media for me. And I think that's true for a lot of people. The second thing is realizing how abnormal it is to... Um, 
have your circle of concern be hundreds of thousands of people versus just the people in your community, your friends and family. That's what we are wired for. And to have it be so much bigger than that is psychologically really damaging and, and impossible. And it is for everyone. So to not feel like there's something wrong with you because it bothers you, it affects you. What The, the thing that I have arrived, the place that I've arrived at, which has allowed, allowed me to feel okay being there. And there are times when I don't feel okay. And I just, I just go away for as long as I need to. The thing that has allowed me to be okay is, um, to, and it sounds silly, but to have fun with it instead of having it be, try to make it a full representation of who I am as a human, which is absolutely impossible. Absolutely impossible. Yes. Right. We're complicated and complex and, you are going to get feedback no matter what. Mm -hmm. So since I have approached it as this is for me and this is fun, I'm going to make it fun, whatever that means to me, it's taken a lot of the pressure off. That's awesome. I also don't spend a lot of time scrolling anymore because it makes me miserable and I took the liberty of just unfollowing people that for whatever reason don't feel good. What yeah. I, even people I love yes. in real life, oh, yes. cause I want to keep loving them in real life. So I'm going to unfollow you on social media. Cause it's or at least mute them. So we don't have to know <laughs> that they don't know we unfollowed right. It's a, it's a gnarly uh, beast. And I've, it's like, I've learned to sort of take it with, eat it with a little spoon instead of with a garden hose. And not take it in, right? Not or or best we can, not absurd. Best we can, right? Best we can. That advice could have saved a lot of relationships over the last couple of years. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. People are also their worst selves, um, uh, including me. Oh yeah, yeah. and and even the worst selves to ourselves when we're scrolling. Why can't I be like that? Why don't I have that? Why don't Yep. Yeah. yeah, it's not you just start wanting things you didn't even know you want wanted. Oh, <laughs> How do I get <laughs> more? I didn't followers. even know I wasn't getting. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, Laura, I do not know how to thank you for your insight, your honesty, your conviction, and your journey. You talk about your still small voice urging us to stay present, and you trust yours, and because you trust yours, when it says yes. No, stop, let go. We can maybe trust ours. So yes. thank you so much for being with us. Can you tell all our listeners where they can connect with you and some of your astounding work and classes and blogs? And Sure. Yeah, my website is just my name and just about everything is there. That's lauramccowan.com. I'm, as far as social media, I'm mostly just on Instagram and that's also my name. And then for people who want sobriety help, um, the luckiest club is my, the community I founded and you can just search up the luckiest club. And you have a couple classes. You have the bigger. Yes. I have the bigger. Yes. And you have a creative, right? A creative class. You Meditation have and blogs. You have yeah. great stuff in there. Thank you. Thanks. Oh, Thank you. God. This is so fun. Oh, what an inspiration. And I, I'm so 
so grateful to you, Patty, for introducing me to Laura. This, your work and your words and your your lessons that I'm learning are just unbelievable and they're so meaningful. Aww. So I can't I can't thank you enough for, for doing this with us today. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And thank you to everyone for all your support of this podcast, for sharing with family and friends and readers everywhere. It means the world. Thank you for tuning in to the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. Tune in every Friday for another episode. And you can also join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live Friends in Fiction show airs at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.